Ben, why, why are you on board today? I'm on board because I'm talking to the visitors on We Were There, and um, so I'm, I'm talking about my naval career. And, and where did your naval career take place, just briefly? I know it was a long career. <laughs> well, I joined uh, HMS Caledonia, uh, HMS Visgard, down in Cornwall, when I was 15 and a half. And the next day I signed a contract to do 12 years from the age of 18. And I did my whole 12 years and uh, came out when I was 30. And what's the first question visitors ask you when they come on the, on the Belfast here? Do they say to you, was this your ship? And what do you say then? Quite often they ask me if, if I was on board. If not the first question, but usually comes up. And I explain that I was never on board Belfast. But I did have a cruiser. I was on HMS Tiger. And um, I volunteer on here because I do conservation. So I'm, I'm working on what I was trained to do when I was in the Navy. And um, it's my sort of era. She was getting old by the time I joined the Navy, but she was still in service, so I know the equipment that she's got, and I, I helped the conservation team do it, and I got involved in this, because I, I used to um, volunteer in the Maritime Museum for a long time, and I, I got talking to the um, visitors about the Sea and Me, and um, I never thought about volunteering on Belfast, but we won an award, second prize, and we came on board to get the prize and I met Andy Curran and um, he said he was head of conservation and I found out he was an ERA and I was an OA so we had a lot in common, we trained at the same place at different times and so I decided to start volunteering on here, uh, doing conservation to start with. Now you used some technical language there, you said you were an OA so you're going to have to explain to me exactly what that role was. Uh, well I, I was an ordnance artificer. Um, when, I, when I joined the apprentices at HMS Fisgard, we were just artificer apprentices. And for the first year, we were just artificer apprentices. When we came to the end of our first year, we had another four months at Fisgard, and then we would go to our part two training establishment. So we had to choose what we wanted to be, and we had a choice of five. An engine room artificer, an ordnance artificer, electrical artificer, and um, shipwright artificer and an aircraft artificer. So what is an artificer? I can hardly say it, but what is that job? <laughs> My dad never learned to pronounce it either properly. He, he used to call him an artificer, and there's no F in it. Um, basically, we were the highly skilled people that had to keep the ships fighting fit. So because in those days, long-haul aircraft were only just coming in. And um, I think it was um, a famous admiral about 1902 realised that they, the ships had gone from sailing in Nelson's time right through to fully mechanical. And the Navy kept pinching the, the engineers from the dockyards that they trained up to maintain the ships at sea and, and the dockyards were getting pretty fed up with it. So Admiral Beatty, that's right. And he, um, he decided that they needed, the Navy needed its own artificer. So in 1902, I think it was, he started the uh, artificer apprentices. And how long did your training last? Five years. We did a full 
fully indentured apprenticeship. First four years at, uh, ashore and the last year at sea. And um, they realized we had to have a significant rank. So basically, when we went to sea for the first time, we were rated as leading seamen or leading artificers. So I was an OA fifth class when I went to sea. And within a year, I was a petty officer. And three years after that, two to three years after that, I was a chief petty officer. Now, it's very busy on board today, and I think you've got some customers uh, waiting for you. So, <laughs> has it been busy? Are you tired? It's coming up to lunchtime now. But... No, no, I'm not particularly tired. I'm, I, I, I just enjoy talking. You know, I'm a, I'm a right chatterbox, I suppose. Funnily enough, I don't pay that much attention to the questions, to be honest. More to how I'm going to respond to them. So it depends on who's asking not so much the questions because sometimes the answer will be I don't know if they're technical questions what they don't understand was when I came down that ladder I was 17 years old straight from school and didn't know anything and they want me to know how many how many gallons of fuel do you burn in a and I haven't got a clue technical scientifically I don't know so I have to say to them I don't know I mean I had been on a training ship but uh, insignificant and I can't even remember. And I had learnt to sail at HMS Ganges, but again, something long forgotten. So was HMS Belfast an important part of your training? An important part of my life, absolutely. That's an absolute. Um, Not least because joining was an adventure in itself, which meant I had to leave the UK, fly to Singapore via Istanbul and Bombay, which were adventures in, its, in themselves, before I arrived, even arrived in Singapore. I had been on a momentous adventure uh, in terms of a 17-year-old virtually straight from school. And then to join here was uh, magical, actually. And what was your job on board? What was your role? 17 year old, I was stoker. Yeah, straight out of... Uh, yeah, I knew nothing. So you were working where we're standing now? Yeah, we used to um, change part of ship every three months. So you would do three months in the engine room. That would be A and B engine rooms. And then three months in the boiler rooms, A and B boiler rooms. Uh, three months in fuel, water and so on. And then three months in... Um, auxiliaries so you would change part of ship every three months which was interesting because it gave you an overall perspective on the vessel in terms of things that needed to do uh, in terms of training damage control how would you what hatches open what air systems and so on Um, there was an example with HMS Manxman when and she was one of the fastest ships ever she was built to do 40 something knots she was a mine land, and one day she was coming back from Gibraltar to the UK on a straight run, and she took a torpedo in the side from a German submarine, 40-foot hole in, on, and lost an engine. An engine fell out because the hole was so huge, and, and the shock was so enormous that actually, and the list was such that an engine fell out. They lost four people in the engine room because... The hatch to the engine room was shut. They had to close the hatch. 
So you learn these things about damage control and how to keep the vessel afloat. All these things helps when you're being moved around the ship. So you're getting an education and a training in the process. Can I ask, standing here now in the engine room, how authentic is it? How, how familiar is it to you as an environment? Yeah, not, not a lot has changed. I can remember specifically standing here because this is where you used to get the ventilation in the tropics. Everybody would um, had that particular point, and, and this was an important uh, position here for, for the throttles for manoeuvre. But also, in, 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 when you weren't um, moving around for whatever reason, you stand under the ventilation, yeah. What's the key point that you use to hold visitors' attention? What, what do you think they're most interested in? And is it, is it how the ship works mechanically or is it more about life on board? It's, it's someone who has the living experience. It does, this doesn't change in life. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. If, if you're learning from a book, it's completely different. This is a living experience from someone who's, who, has, who has that experience. And in my understanding, that is a, an absolute, when you're, whether you're learning um, athletics or, or cooking in the kitchen. I mean, it doesn't, this doesn't change, that's my opinion. And this was your home, you lived here. Yeah. How do you feel the fact that we've had five, over 500 visitors today traipsing through your home? How do you feel about that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm of no illusion that all I'm standing on is someone's razor blades in the future. No illusion. That's, you know, one day that's what it's going to be. So I'm not that attached to it. It's not my home. It was my home. And I think I used to... I, I, I respected that as being so. But now, no, she's just razor blades, really, as we used to say. OK, well, you've got some people queuing up yeah. waiting to hear your story, so I think you better turn around Thank and you. face the music. Sorry Thank to you, interrupt, Tom. but we have, we have a queue. <laughs> Today I was demonstrating Morse code to, all the, to the families and the youngsters, and uh, they all seemed to enjoy it. So the obvious question is, why are you proficient in Morse code? How did that come about? I spent 11 years in the, in the Royal Navy as a telegraphist, so, uh, and I've... I'm still doing Morse code now. I still teach Morse code. And uh, being a radio amateur, in the Royal Navy, we used to sort of work at 20, 25 words a minute. At the moment, I'm doing about 35 to 40 words a minute. So I'm still enjoying Morse code. So were you able to give the visitors actually a hands-on experience? Do they send Morse code? Yeah, they, they uh, send their name, and uh, I attempt to read their Morse. And then uh, they get a certificate at the end of it, which they're, they're all delighted to receive. So how did they do today? Well, I think, I've, I think my record is about 120, and I think today was about uh, 70 or 80. So it's been a good day, and really it's only kind of half a day, really. Did you ever actually serve on this ship during your Royal Navy career? I don't know what you called serve. I've been, I was on board for two months when it was in Portsmouth. I was on a similar ship, HMS Tiger, which is another cruiser, but I didn't go to sea in her. And do you think this sort of event, getting people like you into the exhibition spaces, makes a difference to the visitors? Do you think it engages them more than just looking at exhibitions or objects? Well, 
Yes, and I, and I think wireless office is manned only when I come on board, which is once a month, which is a shame really because uh, the wireless office was a very important part of the ship and I don't think it gets enough uh, advertising. What do you think could be done to enhance the experience here? Well, there's there's bits of equipment you can get nowadays where you can send Morse code and you can see it being decoded in in front of you. You could have two units, one end of the wireless office to the other, where people can send messages to each other. There's there's a lot of things you can do with Morse code. And and not only children, but uh, the grown-ups seem to enjoy it as well. I'm wondering what the visitors' reaction was to Morse code, because it seems like a sort of archaic, old-fashioned way of communicating. No, it's a magnet. It's a magnet, uh, Morse code. They've only got to hear Morse code and think, oh, it's Morse code somewhere, and they come over and talk, not only the children, but the grown-ups seem to get a lot of enjoyment out of it as well. And presumably it's something that's kind of in your blood now, uh, having to work Morse code in the Royal Navy must be something that is just second nature for you. It is. Uh, I mean, I converse with my radio amateur friends at the same speed as I'm talking to you now, but in Morse code. What what age did you join the Navy? I joined when I was 16. And how long did it take you to learn Morse code? You could learn Morse code over the weekend, all the characters, but to be able to converse in Morse code, it takes about 30 hours. 